0: BLOB TALK RADIO When you're threatened by a stranger When it looks like you will take a licking <laughs> There is someone waiting Who will hurry up and rescue you Just call for person chicken Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer radio show brought to you by Call Box Feed My name is Andy Schneider but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and of course living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all-natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's UrbanCoopCompany.com. When you need an incubator, think Brenzi, the incubation specialist. Brenzi has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brenzi.com brincea spelled b-r-i-n-s-e-a that's brincea.com or call 1-888-667-7009 enter the coupon code whisper at checkout and save 10% on their incubators brooders egg candlers and other incubation accessories when you need an incubator think brincea technology you can trust Introducing the Bright Tap Chick Feeder, the cleaner feeder that grows with your flock. The Bright Tap feeder is designed with a unique shield that prevents chicks from standing on the feed tray and pooping into their food. The shield keeps the feed clean, so you spend less time cleaning the feeder. And when your chicks grow up and leave the brooder, you can use the Bright Tap feeder outdoors to give your adult chickens scratch, grit, and oyster shells. The unique shield also prevents rain from getting into the feed tray and spoiling the food. The bright tap feeder fills easily through a lid in the top. No more spills or wasted feed. To learn more, visit our website, chickenwaterer.com. That's chickenwaterer.com.
1: Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer.
0: And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper brought to you by Kronbach Beads. Hope you're having a great Thursday. Uh, today, it's been a great week for us. We are are on the road, if you will. In fact, I'm broadcasting live uh, from inside the big beast, uh, the F-250. We are sitting here uh, down in, I guess this is considered Port Orange, Florida. Uh, we had a good homeschool session this morning. We got to see the uh, Ponce Inlet Lighthouse, and uh, we all climbed up to the top of that. And including the kids, Caleb and Lily, I can, I guess, mark off climbing up the top of an old lighthouse off their bucket list. But uh, that was really fun and uh, educational learning about the lighthouse and what it does. And then we went over to the Marine Science Center and I uh, was signed up earlier in the week for them to do a thing called Turtle Tot Ton. And so uh, I guess for maybe about uh, 45 minutes, they had kind of a guided tour with their little classroom and did some crafts and smart work and uh, did the, you know, the, um, Stingray stingray petting and things like that, so we had a real good time and we kind of had a a few minutes on our own to to walk around the Marine Science Center there, also at Ponce Inlet, uh, Florida, so we've had a good time, just wrapped up lunch, and I think the kiddos and mom are going to go play a putt-putt while uh, we talk a little bit about backyard poultry, so uh, gotta love that. Uh, So thanks very much for joining us, had a great show on Monday with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, and he'll be joining us again uh, this coming up Monday with some more great educational topics for keeping back to our poultry. we got a great show lined up for today. We have a uh, poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McCray, PhD, and uh, we're going to be talking Well, the title of the today's show is uh, Poultry Research Translated. It's always one of my favorites because you'll search and find <coughs> recent and related and pertinent studies done and research that's uh, kind of been released lately and she sent me one last week so we're going to talk a little bit about that this week uh, as well uh, regarding the uh, effectiveness or the lack thereof I guess of uh, beak-trimmed birds and their efficiency of preening themselves and uh, removing mites and lice. That's going to be an interesting one for those of you who disagree with practice. so we'll be talking a little bit about that, and don't forget, we're right now still in the middle of the great giveaway over at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. We have an urban Coop Company starter coop there that we're giving away in our summer issue. Um, in fact, uh, really in five days, I need to send out a reminder to all our contributors in five days uh, is the deadline for the fall issue articles <clears throat> that are going to be coming in for the fall issue of Chicken Whisper Magazine. Remember, you can subscribe to the digital digital edition of that absolutely free. It'll be emailed to you four times a year. Science-based, fact-based, study-based information um, for, uh, for, you know, for you. Keep you and your flock healthy and safe from disease. Always be sweet an accurate blog any day of the week. So uh, let's get over here to phone lines, and we will welcome our good friend, culture, scientist, and professor, Bridget McRae, and as soon as the, uh, hang on a minute, as soon as the switchboard, well, let's give her a big round of applause here. And she's live. Welcome, Doc.
1: Can you hear me okay?
0: Loud and clear.
1: Okay, good, because when I hit the host cue button, it repeated it three times. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know if the show's going to go smoothly today. <laughs>
0: well, hopefully, hopefully we won't have too much uh, too much issues. You never know when you're on the road and you're doing a live show, based on what kind of you have. But I think we're going to be good today. I've got many of ours, and that and should be sounding and broadcasting loud and clear. So, so no worries. So, um, yeah, poultry research uh, translated and um, should be a good one. Hopefully, you've kind of stirred the pot a little bit. And you have us we have some good ones to talk about today and. I know you sent me one over. I can switch over here to that one and, and look at that, which is the effects of beak condition um, on ectoparasite populations and preening and laying hens,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, very very interesting.
1: Yeah, what did you think of that when I first sent it your way?
0: Uh, you know, it, it, it's well, you look at that. The first thing that's exactly what I thought. Okay, okay, yes, there's a big movement to decrease that practice, oh, and I think everybody understands why they do that, primarily for uh, egg layers, because they're in the cages, and uh, to, to help prevent, uh, the, if they do get aggressive, the, the damage they can do to each other, That's uh, why they trim their beak. We understand that de is not the appropriate terminology for that, a lot of people say that, but beak trimming is more accurate. <clears throat> and so, I see that, and uh, we, I think most folks understand why they do it and uh, maybe the unnecessary evil of why they do it uh, you know but um the first thing i thought of was are which is a good question for you we'll start off with um the the question is being in that quote-unquote isolated environment um is that is being able to bring, uh that probably more so than the other mites and lice is there a big mite and lice issue in that quote-unquote controlled environment versus our backyard birds and our free-range birds and pasture-raised birds and things like that. So um, would one be able to justify this by saying, well, that may be true, but we don't really have that problem with external parasites and, and these type of c- conditions we're raising the birds in. So it's a moot point. So I'm trying to see it from both sides based on this, the, the information you gave me. And you can elaborate, which I hope you would. <laughs> <clears throat> So that was what was going through my mind when I first saw it.
1: To answer your question, both backyard flocks and commercial flocks have a problem with external parasites. Okay. So, unfortunately, when you select a chicken for egg laying, you tend to select for an increase in aggression. When you select a chicken for meat production, you tend to select... For less aggression. And so inherently, you're going to have chickens that are a little bit more aggressive with each other. You have laying involved. So your laying hens are going to be more aggressive with each other than, say, a broiler chicken.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's why we um, initially beak-trimmed birds was to help reduce aggression um, in commercial systems. Then they moved to cage systems, and the practice continued. But then the question became, you know, are these birds able to get rid of their ectoparasites? And when Mm -hmm. we say ectoparasites, Andy, what are we talking about?
0: Outside of the body, like mites and lice that are
1: Mm -hmm. feathers
0: and down on the uh, quill and the skin.
1: Yep, exactly, lice and mites, specifically the chicken louse and the northern fowl mite is what this particular study looked at. Um, They did a really good job because they did some correlations that nobody else has done before, which which was very nicely laid out and done, and I'm going to kind of go through it piece by piece because I think in some ways, Andy, some of your listeners, whether they be old or young, may find this as an interesting um, school science fair project if you have the right equipment and and time to do the um, the uh, frequencies and and counting Mm -hmm. so that's why I'm going to go through this in in a little bit more detail because I think it might also be interesting for for that subgroup Um, one of the things that this researcher did is they did a very very good job of reading previous literature and um, and what they consider um, grooming acts by the chicken are the following preening, scratching with the feet, pecking the foot, feather settling, and bill wiping. Those are all things considered grooming acts and. Has actually only been one other study that evaluated the relationship between laying hens infested with mites and and bouts of preening. Um, that previous study didn't look at, at the two external parasites we're talking about. It just looked at the poultry red mite, and that mite crawls on the birds only at night and crawls off the bird during the daytime and go hide in nooks and crannies throughout the, the poultry building and they only they only look red after a blood meal. So this study that they they referenced um you know, they that study with the red mites found that the chickens um had more preening bouts or um more uh incidences of preening, but it didn't they those birds didn't spend more time preening. So you can preen a whole lot of times for a second each but versus you know printing once for a minute you know so right. that the amount of time versus 60 opportunities at 1 second each you know that's that's kind of what they're looking at there now we know that the no- northern fowl mite is mostly found around the vent area so that's why I tell the listeners during my talks you know Take a look back by the vent. See if it the skin looks like it's scabby, red, chewed on. Um, but you know the northern fowl mite. They don't move very quickly. Uh, the chicken body louse is actually found underneath the wings, on the back, around the vent, in the abdomen, and they run fast. So you know the chickens can. Feel them moving around on their bodies, and that E factor is there for us humans. (laughs) Just imagine if you were living with that. Um, So you know that that's stimulation. When those lice are running around on your body, that's stimulation, and that may therefore that movement, rapid, extremely mobile critters can actually stimulate the preening response.
0: I remember back right out of college, I majored in horticulture, of all things, and I got a job working for a company. I really enjoyed the work. Um, God, this was how many years ago? And um, it was interior uh, horticulture and interior plant care, so we would take care of the plants in such big office buildings and uh, malls, fancy resorts and things. And spider mites, for example, were, were, uh, you know, we always had to take care of the plant's disease, same thing, and and, and spider mites and whatnot. I'm telling you what, you, you'd occasionally run across in some of these environments where they, you know, you'd see the webs and, and you'd, you'd, you're right, they'd get on you, you'd get back in the car and go to your next uh, um, client and you'd look down and you'd, you'd feel it, and, you know, maybe it's a little interesting, whatever you could do, and you'd feel them crawling on you and you, know, <laughs> I mean, you got to go and, and, uh, the, the, uh, decontaminate
1: De- uh, yourself decontaminate
0: yourself, exactly so uh, yeah, I've experienced uh, the the uh, mite thing uh, in a different format from chickens and <laughs> and,
1: yeah. so, and, uh, and for your listeners just so you know, these critters can crawl on you, they can bite you, but they don't live on you you're not the right host
0: so something else, yeah. Still, and, still uh, doesn't
1: mean that and, you don't want to go take a shower
0: now, we also have mites that, there, I guess there's some that live on the chicken, and then some that live in the cracks and crevices. They only come out at night, mm-hmm. uh, apparently, mm-hmm. they get on the chickens and then do their business, and eat their suck for it and all, and, and then go back under the roost and the cracks and crevices in the nest box and, and find right. homes there. And correct? Is that the northern fowl mite that does that?
1: No, that's the red mite.
0: The red mite. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. one of the there, so.
1: The northern awesome. fowl mite can complete its entire life cycle on a chicken. On the chicken. Okay. Yeah. So, this study had three specific hypotheses, and for your young listeners, a hypothesis is something that you test to see if it's um, true or not. That's why we do research. We hypothesize that this or that will happen, and then you test to see if, if you proved your hypothesis correct or incorrect. So... The first hypothesis is that hens infested with either lice or mites would spend more time preening than they did prior to infestation and would redirect their preening activity to the specific body areas on which the the ectoparasites are known to be found. Does that that make sense to you, Andy?
0: Sure. If uh, if I've got lice on my elbow, I'm going to spend more time over there. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> dealing with those than maybe my knee that doesn't have any issues right now.
1: <laughs> right. So the second hypothesis is that beaked, beak-trimmed hens would have more mites and lice and spend more time preening than chickens that were not beak-trimmed. Does that make sense? And the third hypothesis is that lice would elicit different preening activities than mites. Because remember, lice run around a whole lot more than mites, so there might be more irritation there. Now, this may I'm seem, the... I'm sorry,
0: go ahead. I'm reading what you're reading here as well and that you had sent me, but um, the more time preening in the big um, trend than the non big trend, I'm trying to see if anywhere in here that states because because they're beak-trimmed, they have a harder
1: time. more. Oh, we'll to get time. to that.
0: Okay, gotcha. We'll get
1: gotcha. to that. Okay. <laughs> so let me explain. They used single-comb white leg horns, a total of okay. 32 of them. And okay. what they did is they purchased 18-week-old chickens from a commercial farm. Half of those right. pullets had been beak-trimmed. Mm-hmm. and the other half had not been beak-trimmed. So 32 divided by 2 is what? What was the math? 32 divided, by, divided
0: two by 2
1: by is what?
0: 32 divided by 2 is 16.
1: Okay, so you have 16 chickens that are beak-trimmed and 16 chickens that are not beak-trimmed. Got right? it. Um, when those chickens were purchased, they were taken back to the university farm and placed into um, cages and allowed several weeks to kind of get used to their facilities, okay? Um, What happened is that, you know, they waited about three weeks and then what they did is they, they split the chickens up and 16 hens were experimentally infested with 40 body lice that were mixed ages, so there were some adults and there were some juvenile lice. And then 16 chickens were infested with northern fowl mites. Um, They only used about 20 northern fowl mites because um, previous research had indicated that um, lice reproduce much more slowly than mites. So you have to add a larger number of lice initially to ensure that they actually become established on the bird and that their population dynamics can actually match that of the mites, So that's why you have a different number of adult and juvenile northern fowl mites added uh, to the birds versus chicken body lice. So that research was done ahead of time, and and so basically there were eight hens in each treatment. Um, The first treatment was beak-trimmed chickens that were lice-infested, beak-trimmed chickens that were mite-infested, um, non-beak-trimmed chickens that were lice-infested, and non-beak-trimmed chickens that were mite-infested. So there you go. You've got the the four groups of chickens there. And what they did was every week, um, they took a look at the birds uh, from for let's see, 10 weeks. And every week they would take the birds out of their cage and the number of parasites that was present on the birds was visually estimated. So how did they do this? You know, we all know that mites don't move very fast, but life sure can run. So what they did is they made sure that the same people performed the evaluation so that there was continuity um, and not wide variation just based upon the person doing the counting. Yep.
0: Um,
1: lice and mites were counted on different days because you know the, the lice birds were kept in one building and the mite birds were kept in a different building so that you didn't have mites starting to crawl on the lice birds and vice versa. But the housing conditions were exactly the same for the two, and actually the buildings were near each other. Um, they were oh, all... I'm
0: sorry, go ahead.
1: I'm
0: really, really glad I didn't have that job of counting mites and mites. <laughs> Really glad I didn't have
1: that job. <laughs> <laughs> well, the birds were provided with um, regular lighting conditions and food and water, um, um, good ventilation in the housing, so they weren't, you know, stressed in that way. So what they did is... Um, the lice numbers were estimated two days before they did the video recording because, remember, we were counting preening. Um, and that we'll get to that behavioral part in just a minute. Uh, and then when you count the lice, you had to look at the vent under each wing on the chest. And all the lice that were seen were counted, including adults and larvae. Um, mites were counted um, one day before video recording and um, basically they they looked at the feathers um, below the vent and they had a scoring system that they used. So if they didn't see any mites, they gave it a score of zero. If they saw between one and 10 mites, this got a score of one. From 11 to 50 mites, they got a score of two. And they kept going up until if they saw more than 10,000 mites, that got a score of seven. I don't want to be that bird Ugh. or handling that bird much less. Yuck. <laughs> um, so what they did is, you know, that was that's how often they, they counted um, the actual insects on the birds. Now, they did do behavior observations. So what they did is they set up a camera in front of the cages, and um, they they basically put two birds in a cage, and the camera could cover two cages. And they used like a Sony handycam that was um, pointed at the cages, using like a tripod or something like that. And they filmed the birds in two thirty-minute sessions in the afternoons. Um, and why did they choose the afternoons? Well, they wanted to avoid the disturbances and behavior due to morning feedings and. Egg laying activities that usually occur before noon. So they got about, um, you know, well, they got several hundred minutes of observations in, and um, what they did is they coded the activities of the birds in real time observations. And so, you know, the number of times that the birds preened versus the number of minutes spent preening where on the body they spent the time preening, whether it was the back, the neck, the, the wing, above or below the wing, the vent, or if they were back with their, their preen gland. Um, and so they, they kind of broke that up and was trying to, to use that information. Um, and they used one observer. Uh, they The same person did all the coding for the behavior from start to finish on that study. So yeah, that removes any sort of um, observer bias that could occur. So what did they find? What was the result of all this? Well, let's start with the life. Life numbers on uh, beak-trimmed hens were higher than on non-beak trimmed hens, specifically between week seven and week 10 after they were infested. Oh, and something I forgot to mention, Andy, uh, for the behavioral data, they basically observed the behavior of the birds before they put any mites or lice on them, and then they came back and did that same videotaping during week six and week nine. So there were only three times that they actually did the the uh, video camera work. So that's something interesting for your your um, homeschoolers if they want to if they have a video camera at home and they want to um, perhaps take a couple of weeks and and randomly record certain behaviors amongst their flock and count how many times they do this, that, or the other thing over the course of thirty minutes once a week. And then maybe they introduce some new object or something into the coop, like a new treat ball or um, a new chicken or something like that that would change behavior and they they can see how many times certain behaviors change over 30 minutes or two hours over the course of a week, something like that. That's that's science too and it's often forgotten about that behavior is a science that that needs attention as well. So going back to the lice, at the peak of the bird's infestation, the beak-trimmed hens had 15 and a half times more lice than the non-beak-trimmed hens. So how about that for a significant difference? Kind of growth if you ask me, but... I've handled chickens and had lice on me and gone, ew, gross, yes. All right. Beak-trimmed hens, this is still with lice, at um, week nine after they were infested, they spent more time preening total. Um, So they spent more time preening than they did before they were infested with lice, which was... Um, week zero, before they actually put the lice on them. Um, they also spent more time preening on their backs, the outside of their wings, and in the neck and chest area than they did uh, before they were infested. At week nine, beak-trimmed hens not only spent more time preening in the vent area, um, but they also spent more time than the than the um, non-beak-trimmed hens, um, printing back at the vent area at week 9. So that's just hands down, I mean the birds didn't lice on them and they, they fiddled with their feathers a lot more. Hmm. So let's talk about some mites. On average, the, the mite score that was assigned to beak-trimmed hens between week 3 and week 10 Was about 4.2 on average. Um, Oh, there we go. Um, Beak trimmed hens, whereas for um, beak intact hens, it was only about 1.5. So you had a higher number of, uh, or higher score assigned to. Uh, beak-trimmed hens with regard to mites than beak-untrimmed um, hens or beak-intact hens. Um, for preening, um, there did seem to be some changes over time. Um, the the, the chickens spent a little bit more time preening, um, but there was also an interaction between um, the week and um, whether or not they were beak-trimmed or not. So when we start to get into some of the more in-depth science, science portions, it, it starts to get complicated in there. But the moral of the story was um, beak-trimmed hens tended to harbor more mites than non-beak-trimmed hens. Um, beak-trimmed hen, well, that's for mites. Beak-trimmed hens with mites tended to have more higher mite scores by about two or three times than their beak-intact friends, specifically week three to week ten after they were infested. For lice, uh, hens that were not beak-trimmed showed no change in preening behavior after infestation, whereas Beak trimmed hens that were infested with lice spent more time printing on their back, on their vent, on their neck and chest, and in total than they did prior to their infestation. So, you yeah, know, it, it, it indicates that perhaps chickens that are beak trimmed and have lice have, may be ir- irritated by the lice and they, they can't remove them. And maybe, you know, that's a little bit of frustration perhaps. I don't know they can't get rid of them so they spend more time preening um, it seems fairly consistent with with you know what seems like common sense but you know sometimes you just have to sit down and work out the numbers and and look at this analytically and they did a very nice job um Whatever, whoever the student is that did this work. And actually this work was done um, in the UC system, so University of California Davis and University of California Riverside, both of which have very strong um, uh, poultry entomology and poultry behavior programs. So kudos to that group and they did a very nice job. I'm sure who, whoever the student is that did this work is gonna have uh, wonderful job winning for them when they're done with their research. Any questions, Andy? Not yet, no. Okay, good. Um, I don't have Blog Talk open, so if any questions pop up on there or Facebook, let me know. Okay, we'll do. Okay. Um, I'm going to move on to another study. Okay. Um, One that I'm not sure if your listeners will like or not, but I thought... Um, your listeners are always looking and watching and listening for alternative this, that, or the other. And came across this, and it was an alternative bedding or litter. And I thought, well, maybe your listeners might find this interesting. Um, I know some of your listeners are worried about off-gassing from hardwoods, and um, so I, you know, softwoods or hardwoods, and not sure what to do, but. This study looked at using grasses, chopped grasses, over multiple flocks to see if it did anything to the birds um, versus pine shavings. And you've heard me mention many times that pine shavings are easy to find, but I know that some folks have a hard time getting their hands on it or it's expensive and they're looking for alternatives cheaper alternatives now the reason why we are looking commercially at chopped grasses specifically we're talking about switchgrass in this instance and also Bermuda grass the reason why we're looking at these things it's the sustainability of using and the cost of using pine shavings in the poultry industry so researchers at um, this was a combined research effort with Mississippi State University and Auburn University. They looked at um, three flocks of broiler chickens, and they they took these chickens to about seven weeks, so they call them heavy broiler flocks. Um, chopped switchgrass and chopped Bermuda grass are things that grow readily in the southeast part of the United States and... You know, grasses grow very quickly uh, and can be harvested annually, if not more often, depending on the acreage that you have and and where you live, whereas a tree takes years to grow and years to replace. So, you know, we might want to look at some alternatives that are a little little more sustainable, maybe have a lower... um, a carbon imprint. Knowing that pine shavings might get pretty difficult to obtain, um, and and think about it, waste is something that almost all industries try very hard to avoid. So in, um, you know, in, in wood industries, they they're always evaluating themselves as to how to avoid more and more byproducts of wood production, paper production. Um, so they're they're trying, you know, they're trying very hard not to waste and, and create a whole lot of shavings. So researchers have looked at sand, crop residues, waste materials from like say the paper industry and that sort of thing and, and looked at them and evaluated them as acceptable or unacceptable for growing chickens on. Um, like sand, we get a lot of questions about sand, Andy. Um, you know, yes, it has good drainage, uh, but it gets very heavy, and sand being heavy is going to have higher transportation costs and energy costs to get it to um, people. So you have to think about that. And I know your listeners, Andy, they probably don't think about well, how much did my car spend gas-wise to bring that sand to my coop? But you know. If we're really calculating the numbers, I think your your listeners might be surprised how much they're actually spending on their chickens. Nobody ever calculates the gas that it takes to go buy that bag of feed that the chickens consume all too quickly.
0: I've done I've done some of this stuff uh, with the USDA on, on sand, and, it, and we talked about it on the webinar twice a year about bedding, and, and now we've never had anybody recommend sand. And some of the other additional things that, that it may end up being a negative for sand is one of course the fact that they're heavy. Um, the fact that um, when you think about it, um, tracing back to leg injuries. If you have a very high roost, jumping down onto sand instead of something yeah. more soft, um, sprains, breaks, tendon issues, leg leg problems because they're jumping instead of something broken. Soft bone. Yeah, several inches of, of uh, soft bed in there just on sand. Um, so maybe leg injuries, if you have a high roost and use sand, number two was um, uh, maybe a higher chance of bumblefoot because you right. know different types of sand. They jump down onto this. It can be sand, can be very sharp. Or the last thing the chicken is standing on before they fly up to the roost is sand. Sand will be on their feet when they grab the, the roost as tight as they can and their legs are twisting on it so they don't fall off. So that, that over time can cause abrasion. Uh, which and maybe can lead to bumblefoot. So exactly. That Others have talked about. And I don't understand the science behind this. It's way above my pay scale. But how <laughs> this, the way sand works, possibly a higher risk of of um, based on the uh, I don't want to say atmosphere of it, but, but the way way sand works. Um, and then, let's see, there was some, uh, and then, really, the bottom line. The only benefit that we can find that anybody ever posts is. I can go on my coop with a little scoop and scoop up their little chicken poop like, like, a, litter, yeah. like a a cat litter box. So I'm like, Well hell, if you want cats, get cats. These are chickens, they're not cats.
1: <laughs> so, so out of
0: all these out of all these negative things that can come about having sand in the coop, there's you see one one positive and that's oh I can scoop their poop individually, uh, you know, turd by turd if you will. Um and, and that's that's I like that. But if you have a droppings board maybe under your roost to catch that it's almost irrelevant anyway. So so it, yeah right. we've we've we all we've talked about that. I've talked about it a lot with USDA and their vets and, and, and I've never come across anybody that's recommended it and then we go through this okay the, and the positives and negatives and the negatives are far way out. But And some people problems. live in
1: very sandy soils, so they really can't avoid that situation.
0: Right. But I mean not, that's
1: that's like, where the birds live.
0: I agree, but also like someone will say, But I live in Florida. Um true, but the bedding in your coop is not necessarily sand. Yeah, sand right. in your run, fine. Sand in your, um, uh, when they're dust bath, fine. But as bedding, it, it opens up a whole mother can of worms and just having a sandy backyard because they're not jumping right. into your yard from the roost. They're not, you know, and that type of thing. So, so yeah, totally different in the, um, Backyard, we talk about that, and then as bedding and, and your food. But I just wanted to sidetrack there since you mentioned it. <laughs> kind of findings we found with other uh, poultry veterinarians around the country.
1: Well, going back to the whole transportation issue, um, mm-hmm. you also have to consider trees take a long time to grow. Grasses grow perennially, so they'll they'll come back. And chopped grass bedding usually has a lower bulk density when you compare that to wood chips, so that makes it cheaper to transport it on a, on a weight basis. Um, you can purchase grass through your local forage or cattle producers, or you know honestly, if you have enough acreage, you could grow it yourself and, and then harvest it, uh, chop it up, and store it, which each requires its own costly steps and, and storage equipment. Um, but if people want to be more sustainable, that's something to consider. Now, remember when you, you say, oh, oh, she says I can grow my own Bermuda grass and switchgrass. Oh, okay. Make sure you're allowed to grow these things. Um, before you just go plunk some down in your yard, you know, make sure, check through your county extension office, uh, or office and see if. You know, this is something that will even grow in your region if there's any restrictions Mm -hmm. on growing switchgrass. Every dairy is a little bit different. Do your homework. Mm -hmm. If you harvest this, um, you're going to need to chop it down to, you know, a couple inches in length. It's not like straw, which you've heard me time and again say straw is not absorbent. And you also have to keep it dry so it doesn't harbor fungi. fungi. Yeah,
0: because straw-like. And and you think about the brooder too. when We talk about brooder and using straw. Think about everything you have in that brooder. You've got heat. You've got poop. You've got food that's rotting in the water. You've got a water source, and then, of course, heat that makes all that grow and build up. And, right. and you have the straw, which is hollow, which is a great little uh, place for this bacteria to live and aspergillosis
1: and fungi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: so uh, yeah, straw. And, but you know, it's like this. And, and then what you so you probably if you use straw. Would have to keep an eye on it, clean it probably more than you would the wood shavings we talked yep. about when using a brooder. But at the same time, uh, uh, I personally tell folks you can spank me if you want to. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I say, look, if you already on your farm, on your homestead, have a supply of fresh straw, and you're, you're, this thing, okay, I'm going to have to go buy a thing of wood shavings for my brooder. That's, that's money, that's more expense. I already have straw here for whatever other animals I have. I'm like, you know, you don't have to buy it. You already got it. Use it. Keep an eye on it. And, and you may have to change it out more to prevent some of these things that will come out of using straw. But if you already have it and you don't have, it's not going to cost you a dime to go buy something else. Hey, for you, for straw
1: works if you can get it down to about an inch in length.
0: Got it. Got it. Chop it okay. up. Okay,
1: Chopped straw will work if you can get it down to the right size
0: awesome i I'll, I'll that but the long it.
1: stuff just cakes and and yields a lot of ammonia and maybe even some some fungi if it's there um so you know thinking about you know wood chips and sawdust and wood shavings as manufacturing processes become more efficient these byproducts may get diverted to the energy markets like say um you know I'll I'll You know, any of those wood products can can find another home, and um, you may be searching for something new in the next 40 years. Who knows? To start your chicks on. So this study looked at um, broiler chickens. They got them from a commercial hatchery, and they raised three flocks of chickens on the same litter. So they didn't change out litter between flocks and that's a common practice between um, amongst uh, broiler producers is to to keep litter for several flocks and they wanted to see how this these two um, grasses held up against pine shavings and these were pen trials Um, you raise chickens broiler chickens on the floor not in cages like the last one we talked about which was laying hens Um, so they had 24 pens that were about 5 feet by 9 feet. And each bird got almost a square foot, 0.9 square feet. Um, Food and water were available at all times. There was adequate ventilation. Um, Lighting program was very typical. Feeding program was typical for commercial industry. And everything was the same for all the 24 pens, Um, except for the litter material. So Andy. We're going to do math again. Okay. 24 divided by 3. Go. Goodness gracious. 44, 10, 12, uh, 15,
0: uh, 14. 24 divided by 3. 24 divided by 3. I thought you said 44 divided by 3. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, 24. 3 times 8 is 24.
1: There you go. So there were 8 pens that had Bermuda grass, 8 pens with switchgrass, and 8 pens with pine shavings. So where'd they get their pine shavings? They went to a commercial sawmill. Okay. Where'd they get the switchgrass and the grass? Well, being that these were universities, um, they had research plots where they take a look at these things. Um, so they got their grass and switchgrass from Mississippi, Mississippi State University. What they did is they, they got them in big bales and they chopped those bales up in a hammer mill. And a hammer mill is something that that breaks down um, tough substances. Sometimes it's used in in feed mills for grains. This time they used it for the Bermuda grass and they used a a quarter inch screen. So um, they got it down to a a very workable size. Their measurements, they looked at the birds and feed. And weighed the birds and weighed the feed uh, at fourteen days, twenty-eight days, forty-two days, and forty-eight days. And so that allowed them to calculate the body weight, the body weight gain, the feed consumption, and the feed um, feed consumption ratio or feed conversion ratio. We also every day looked at mortality and recorded it, and. At the very end of the study, they even looked at the foot pad scores. I don't know if I've talked to you about this in the past, Andy, mm-hmm. but um, in the poultry industry, there's actually a market for the feet, so you want to keep the litter in good condition so that the feet stay in good condition, and that's something marketable to um, uh, ethnic groups and countries that actually enjoy consuming feet, which tends not to be the majority of U.S. Uh, consumers. but. Um, so what they did is at 49 days, they took five male birds and five female birds from each pen and scored the foot pads. It was either a zero for no visible lesions on either foot, uh, a one for a mild lesion either on one foot or or both feet, or a two score, which was a bad lesion. And they also looked at the litter. Now, you know, you do have to actually manage your litter. It you, you can't cake up. you got to look at the pH. Does it, is it producing ammonia? Yeah. Um, these are things to consider because we we know a lot about pole, pine shavings, but we don't know as much about switchgrass or Bermuda grass. And so they looked at these things. And, you know, they looked at, um, you know, so pH, ammonia, the moisture content. And if if it caked up, Sometimes if you spill um, water around your water, you'll notice that the the litter kind of forms a mat, either with feces or feces mixed with shavings. Well, that can happen with these other types of bedding as well. So they wanted to take a look at that, and they they looked at the cake depth and how much of cake was in a sample, and they actually down you know, down to, to nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, the nutrient values of, of the caked litter. So they did a lot of pretty good scientific research here. Um, and what do you think happened, Andy? What was the moral of the story? Any guesses?
0: Uh, gee, I don't know. My, my, the first question that comes to my mind, which I wanted to ask you was, when they're using grasses, even though it's, it's in this controlled, I guess, environment, i tell you what, I've, I've started some flocks with folks and neighbors and, and everywhere else, and we'll, we'll have a beautiful grassy area, and we'll fence it in, and we'll put a coop in there, and there's no time before it's dirt.
1: <laughs> 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 I
0: mean, dirt. So, so I, that, was my, that would be my question with the grasses and using that type of thing, unless they're just talking about cut grass and throwing the cut grass down there. It's basically there. cut
1: grass that's been and dried and baled and chopped to, up.
0: Because I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking, okay, grass, and getting it to grow inside. And Then the cut grass, the same thing issue. Like you're talking about, you still have the same issues with uh, when I pile grass, when, when my dad, you know, had mow grass and whatnot, and pile it all one pile, and it just gets nasty and piled up, and it's, it's gross. So um, I don't know. I, I would say that, yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say they probably didn't end up with any type of, of. Uh, outcome? Meaning that they were like, well, I don't want to say inconclusive, or did they say, well, we still are going to go with the status quo and keep doing what we're doing?
1: Well, that wasn't the question that they were trying to tackle. The question they were tackling was, how did it perform in relation to pine shavings? And they mm-hmm. found that chopped switchgrass and chopped Bermuda grass performed just as well as pine shavings for for those broiler chickens over the course of three flocks.
0: Just as um, well. But now we're all talking... Mortality wasn't um, any different. And But but we've got, we, yeah, we're talking only about uh, five weeks.
1: Uh, seven weeks times okay, three. seven weeks,
0: okay, seven weeks. So seven weeks the three, times three, three times.
1: flocks. So you've got um, something close to half a year. Okay. Um, they did find some differences between body weight and feed conversion or feed consumption, and um, you know, they they basically said that their next step would be to take a look at this not on a pen trial basis, but more on a commercial scale. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, who knows what we will find in the future for small flock owners as far as bedding. Um, down the road, it might be that pine shavings are the luxury product and everyone's using <laughs> chopped switchgrass or Bermuda grass. Now, Mom hated Bermuda grass growing up. She hated it in her lawn. We were always out there trying to tear it out. Um, I always thought that maybe if we could train the dog to go to the bathroom just on the Bermuda grass, that would take <laughs> care of it. But, you know, the dogs aren't trainable that way. And Bermuda had
0: those... Roots, I guess, the trail and intertwine. Yeah, the Bermuda grass. Yeah, tough to keep out of flower beds. It really. But to,
1: for somebody to find a good use for it, I love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so you um, just
0: find a nice area that, uh, that has lots of Bermuda and, and get a little contract with the uh, landscape companies to to bag all, <laughs> of the, all of their work all day, and then and then uh, and then you can go and get some uh, free bedding for your flock
1: now they also and that the only thing i didn't mention was the foot pads um they didn't really find any difference between the foot pad lesions um for the three different types of of bedding either so just something for you to consider folks out there i know your listeners like to to learn about alternatives and who yeah. knows what the future will bring
0: Hey, I'm going to go to commercial break, and oh. then we'll uh, come come right back. We're talking with um, Dr. McCray, talking about poultry research translated, and we've talked about different bedding so far, and some studies they've tried using some different bedding other than pine shavings, and we've talked about uh, the trim birds and uh, their ability or lack thereof of preening and uh, ridding themselves of uh, mites and lice, so uh, we may have one or two up our sleeve when we return after this short break so stay with us folks you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Feeds. Ware manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983 Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches barns, pens and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock Ware offers hutches and pins for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's w-a-r-e-m-f-g-i-n-c.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing.
1: In 2021, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowls, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg's should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's Strombergschickens.com.
0: Love Nest brings the natural goodness of herbs to you and your backyard with handcrafted organic blends for your backyard friends. Packaged in a resealable bag, 100% USDA certified organic, Love Nest blends come ready to sprinkle directly into the nesting R coop bedding and are completely natural and edible. There's Love Nest Chick Mix Blend, a gentle herb blend perfect for young chicks. Love Nest Layer Blend, designed to help support laying and soothe ruffled feathers. And Love Nest Critter Ritter Blend is naturally effective against those unwelcome guests such as lice, moths, and other pests. Ask for Love Nest at your favorite local feed store or visit them online at www.loveluv-nest.com. And try Love Nest organic blends for your backyard friends today. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver hen apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful Hen Saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hen Saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4 h and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, cacklehatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's cacklehatchery.com. Come back. Come back, back. Come back.
1: Come back. Come back, back,
0: back. Come back.
1: From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended—pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H Feeds.com, or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer.
0: All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard to Pole Curry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach, Kalmbach Feeds. And um get back over here to the switchboard. We'll bring uh, Dr. McRae back on. And, and maybe instead of going to another study, since we're running out of time, I've got a question for you, Dr. Mm-hmm. McRae. Sure. Okay, here we go. I've got a meeting later this afternoon with CDC. And in uh, lieu of the most recent salmonella outbreak uh, that we're all familiar with, again, uh, this year, um, we are going to be discussing, and maybe you can give us some ideas if you have some right off the top of your head, Today, we'll be discussing um, wanting to promote some messaging about appropriate ways to show affection and appreciation to your chickens instead of hugging and kissing and and putting them in the the, the crib and putting them in your bed and bringing them inside. So, we're going to be talking of ways to whether it be posters or just announcements or some public service um, bulletins and things like that because, again, every year this is nothing new uh you know when there is the outbreak in personally interviewing these folks that are in the hospital with this horrible youngness um so tell us oh oh yeah i hugged them oh yes i kissed them and i brought them inside the house and blah blah blah. so uh, affection of course is the key word so um what are some ways you would tell um families uh, how they can show love and affection through their poultry without bringing them inside, kissing them, hugging them, you know, that.
1: Well, I tell my 4-H members when, and you know I'm a 4-H leader, Andy. Oh, yes. That uh, snuggling with their chickens is only okay if they're in the middle of doing showmanship. So, basically, their baby chicks need to be in the house only if they're brooding and there's a cold snap outside or they don't have a place or a barn to keep baby chicks inside. So that's the only time they need to be in the house or maybe they're in the middle of practicing their showmanship or mm-hmm. the only other time after that would be maybe they gave their chicken a bath and
0: it's uh. too cold
1: outside to let them dry. That's the only time they really need to be in the house. Or maybe your chicken has been injured, but you might have, like, say, a mudroom or um, part of the garage where you can relocate your, your chickens to if they recuperate. Um, as far as snuggling with their birds, um, most people realize, or at least my 4-Hers realize how dirty their birds are and how much of that <laughs> dust it is yeah. on the feathers that is actually fecal material <laughs> and not dust. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so they... Their parents also give them good reminders, but I know some people just they feel that they have to express affection in a certain way. Um, chickens, however, don't show each other affection necessarily. They may show affiliations, um, strong affiliations or weak affiliations with members of their flock um they may have allegiances within their flock
0: <laughs> but there's not
1: there's not really um, you know affection, affection. given yes other uh, than uh, when a rooster mounts a female and that's not really affection so much as maybe considered breeding
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: what about that fancy little dance he does around just saying hey look at me baby that's
1: not affection <laughs> that's him proving his worth as a as as a mating potential partner. <laughs> also, it's also used as a way to draw in the females close enough so that he can grab them and mount them. <laughs> so, no, that's not no a section. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: you don't see the rooster hold the hen after he's done and no.
1: You don't see the hand that <laughs> And chickens don't really, you know, that's not part of their set of behaviors. So for you to give a chicken a hug, its reaction is going to be, well, I have a certain set of behaviors that I've had built into me. Um, Maybe I'll just freeze and sit still for this. (laughs) And... Uh, that might be more of a sign of submission than affection.
0: Uh, maybe if I let this crazy human do what it wants to do to me, then they'll give me some more of those treats.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Or some chickens don't submit, and they'll readily peck you and <laughs> be like, put me down, stop yeah. doing that. Um, I've had chickens in the past that are like, oh, we're not doing this showmanship thing anymore, kid. Put me down. <laughs> So yep. you have to think about, you know, th- this really is a human issue, not a chicken issue. Um, it's, you know, the, the chickens, we know what the chickens are going to do. It's, it's human behavior that has to change. And I think as far as the marketability of anything that you put together with the CDC, you definitely need a YouTube page because well, um, well. people tend to like the short snippets and very visual aspects of it. Um, And, you know, what's the appropriate way to show your chickens affection? Well, you can pet them, but go wash your hands. Uh uh You know, let's let's be practical. I mean, yes, they're pets. Does everybody wash their hands after petting their cat? No, but I'll bet you there's something that your cat carries that you now carry, and maybe it's not salmonella, but salmonella sure can do a, a doozy on you.
0: And famous last words, which we've heard from you over the years and probably a bazillion times, um, <laughs> how we both now respond to somebody that says, I've kept chickens for eight years and kissed them and hugged them and I've never had salmonella. Then should have we eat course together, Doctor Mutter? Today's tomorrow's another day.
1: <laughs> yeah, and prove it. Prove that you don't have salmonella now. Prove that it's not the same salmonella as your chickens have if your chickens have it. <laughs> I like proof. You know that, Andy. I, I like proof.
0: And I've, I've taken that on the road with hey, when visiting blogs and forums, your four favorite words should be show me the proof. And if the only proof you get <laughs> is it worked for me, that can be very dangerous ground when dealing with the health of your backyard chickens. And we'll wrap it up with that. That's a perfect segue to end the show. So, uh, Dr. McCray, thank you very much for joining You're us. You're welcome. The first and Third Thursday of every single month, and uh, we look forward to having you back on here in a couple weeks. Take care of yourself.
1: Take care. Bye
0: bye. Bye bye. All right, that's going to wrap up another great episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Calm Box Feeds. Thank you very much for tuning in. We will return this Monday. Yep, this Monday with another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown, founder of FirstStateFetSupply.com. So I hope you all have an absolutely wonderful weekend with family and friends. God bless everybody.